Chapter 8 of Countess Erika's Apprenticeship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Vinay Mala. Countess Erika's Apprenticeship by Osip Shubin. Translated by Annie Sleevister. Chapter 8. A few days after the Wicked Fairy's successful Thursday, two fresh pieces of news were circulated in Berlin. One was that Goswin van Sido had fought another duel in his sister-in-law's behalf and the other stated that Countess Nandorf had given the fashionable artist Riddle permission to paint her granddaughter as Heather Blossom. The truth as to the duel was never fully discovered. Goswin van Sido suddenly appeared for a while with his arm in a sling. But as he stoutly maintained that he had sprained his wrist in a fall from his horse, people were forced to be satisfied with this explanation. If some very sharp-sighted men added that in certain cases it was a man's duty to lie, no matter how strict might be his ideas of truth, why, that was their affair. As for the portrait, it was true that the old countess had acceded to Riddle's request to be allowed to paint Erika as Heather Blossom, of course not in the artist's studio, but in the Countess Landoff's drawing room, where Riddle worked away for a week, three hours daily, seated before a large easel with colour boxes beside him. The result of this well-meant efforts was a commonplace affair. Something between Ari Shifor Minon and Gabriel Max's Gretchen at her wheel. Naturally, the Countess Landoff was in no wise charmed by this picture, although, in view of the ability of the artist in question, she had not expected anything better. A book of beauty painter, that riddle, she said of him. He flatters everyone alike and is blind to wrinkles, scars, and what he calls defects of all kinds. Such fellows as he are sure to be a success in the present day when truth is at a discount. They never dissipate a single illusion and the word, the word of society delights in them. She certainly took no pains not to dissipate illusions for the word to which she belonged. On the contrary, she delighted to destroy them. Jeering quorum publico at the beautifying salve which the model members of society as well as her favorite artists and literally men plastered over every peculiarity of humanity and which in life passes for kindly criticism and in art for idealistic conception. She spent her time in tearing down the rose-colored curtains from the windows of her acquaintances and naturally her acquaintances did not like it. They loved their rose-colored curtains, which excluded the pitiless garish daylight, admitting only a becoming twilight in which all the sharp edges and dark stains of life faded into indistinctness. The countess' rage for broad daylight seemed cruel to her acquaintances, while she in her turn called their love for twilight cowardly, and when she alluded to the fashionable word usually designated it briefly as Kapilavastu. Erika asked her grandmother the meaning of this word, upon which the old lady shrugged her shoulders and replied, Kapilavastu is the name of the town in which Buddha grew up, the town where his parents hoped to shield him forever from the sight of old age, death and disease. 
Then with quite a laugh, she added as if to herself, Oh, what a word it is. All her life long, she had sneered at the word of fashion, which did not at all interfere with the fact that she would have greatly disliked being aught but a great lady. When Riddle had completed his picture of Heather Blossom to his own satisfaction and enriched it with his valuable signature, he laid it as a tribute at the feet of the Countess Landoff, begging permission to exhibit his masterpiece at Schulte's Honor den Linden. Permission was accorded him, of course with the proviso that the name of the model should be strictly concealed. Whether the picture were the sentimental daub which the old countess dubbed it, or the exquisite work of art which Riddle's numerous admirers pronounced it, certain it is that it attracted a great deal of attention. So much indeed that the countess Anna was one day seized with the desire to witness for herself the effect produced by it upon a gaping public. It was a fair sunshiny day in March when she walked to the end of the thigh garden with Erika, slowly followed by her carriage. It was a pleasure to her to observe the undisguised admiration excited by her granddaughter. And the girl was worthy of it. Tall, distinguished in air and bearing, faultlessly dressed in dark grey clothes, with a long boa of blue fox fur and a black hat and feathers, she walked with an air and a bearing that a young queen might have envied. Everyone looks after you as if you were the empress herself, said her grandmother with a laugh, as she espied a young officer of dragoons who with his hand at his cap saluted the grandmother but looked at the granddaughter. Goswin, this is lucky, she exclaimed, beckoning to him. We are on our way to Schulte's to look at Erika's portrait. Will you come with us? If you will let me, he replied. But you will probably not see the portrait. He went on smiling. Only a great crowd of people. At least that was almost all I could see the last time I was there. Oh, you have been there, said the old countess with the merry twinkle of her eye. Then of course you do not care to go again. No, certainly not to see the picture, but you cannot get rid of me now, Countess. Beneath the lindens on one side of the way stood a crippled boy with a huge hump, playing the accordion. The squeaking tones of the miserable instrument were but little in harmony with the splendor of the Thyrgarten at this hour. A lady, as she passed the child, turned away with a shudder, and tears started in the boy's eyes and rolled down his pale, precocious face as he retreated into still deeper shade. Without interrupting what he was saying to the old countess, Goswin gave the boy some money. On a sudden, Countess Landoff noticed that Erika was not beside her. Where is the child? she exclaimed, looking round. Erika had fallen behind to stroke the little cripple's thin cheeks. When she perceived that she was observed, she hastily left the child. Her own cheeks were flushed and there were tears in her eyes. Why, Erika? Her grandmother cried out in dismay. What are you about? I could not help it, the girl replied. It was so hateful of that woman to show the boy her disgust at the sight of him. She could scarcely restrain her tears. But Erika, her grandmother, put her hand on the girl's arms and spoke very gently. You might catch some disease. 
and if i did erica murmured still under the influence of strong emotion i should not be half so wretched as that child why should i have everything and he nothing to this no reply could be made even the countess talent for repartee failed her and the three walked on together silently the countess anna glanced towards goswin never before had she seen him so gravely impressed and on a sudden the despair that had possessed her in view of the unjust arrangement of human affairs was converted into pride and joy when they reached the picture dealers they found the portrait in an inner room surrounded in fact by quite a crowd of people although it was not great enough to satisfy the old countess's pride it could hardly have been that indeed still she did not express her disappointment in words but ridiculed the assemblage the words heather blossom were carved in the very effective frame of the portrait and on one side could be traced a coronet a beggar girl and a coronet nothing could appeal more strongly to these plebeians the old lady exclaimed and then she whispered to erica thank god no one could recognize you from that daub or we should have the whole rebel around us what do you think of the picture goswin miserable goswin replied with a frown between ourselves i cannot understand your allowing the fellow to exhibit it what could i do said the countess shrugging her shoulders he talked of the effect it would produce upon people generally and in fact he seems to have been right the archduchess jalstein has already ordered her portrait of him i cannot understand it to me riddle is absolutely uninteresting if he has a really fine model he seems to lose even the power to flatter upon which his reputation is chiefly based erica is 10 times more beautiful than that picture this was goswin's opinion also but he remained silent asking himself whether it could be that the absent old countess had actually forgotten her granddaughter's presence such however was not the case it simply had never occurred to her to regard erica's beauty as a secret to be confided to all the world except to the girl herself she would as soon have thought of concealing from her the amount of her yearly income i want you to look at a picture which has charmed me goswin said after a pause desirous to change the subject and as he spoke he pointed to a picture at sight of which the old lady uttered an exclamation of admiration while erica gazed at it pale and mute the picture was called the seeress and represented a peasant girl standing wan and rapt her eyes gazing into the unseen her hands stretched out as if groping on the right of the girl were a couple of willows in the midst of the level landscape their trunks rugged and scarred and here and there tufted with wild flowers while in the background a little trickling stream was spanned by a huge stone bridge through the arches of which could be seen glimpses of a miserable village half obscured by rising mists the berlin public were too much spoiled by the mediocre artistic euphemism of the day to have the taste to appreciate this masterpiece a couple of art critics passed it by with a shake of the head muttering unripe fruit countess lendorf repeated the phrase as the wise acres disappeared unripe fruit quite right but a most noble specimen i only trust it may ripen under favorable conditions the thing is full of talent a seeress apparently a yon diak
probably said Goswin. It certainly is original in conception. There is nothing conventional in it. What inspiration there is in the pale face? What maidenly grace in the noble and yet almost emaciated figure? It is a most attractive picture. The strange thing about it is that this seeress in reality looks far more like Erika than does Riddle's heather blossom, exclaimed the old lady. I must have this picture. You are too late, Countess, rejoined Goswin. Is it sold already? What was the price? It was very reasonable, a beginner's price, Goswin replied with a slight blush. The old countess laughed. She had no objection that Goswin, with his limited means, should buy a picture just because it resembled her granddaughter. Meanwhile, Erika was trembling in every limb. Who but he could have painted the picture? Who else had seen Lesno? Lesno and herself? She felt proud of her protege. In the corner of the picture, she read Lausanne. It pleased her that he had so fine sounding a foreign name. You shall find out for me where the young man lives, Countess Landoff cried eagerly. He must paint Erika for me while his prices are still reasonable. Goswin cleared his throat. Much as I admire this young artist, he observed, if I were you, I would not have him paint Countess Erika. Why not? Because he has another picture on exhibition here to see which an extra price of admission is asked. Indeed, cried the old lady. Is it so very bad? The worst of it is the curtain that hides it from the public and the extra price paid to look at it, Goswin replied half laughing. It certainly is a powerful thing, painted later than the seeress and under a different inspiration. If you would like to see it, let me play the part of Countess Erika's chaperon for a few minutes. You go behind that curtain. The Countess Anna could not let such an opportunity slip. She was an old woman. No one, not even the overscrupulous Goswin, could object to her looking at the picture. So she blithely went her way. Meanwhile, Erika had grown very pale. She felt as if some dear old plaything to which she had attached all sorts of pathetic memories had fallen into the mire. It was gone. Let it lie there. She would not stoop to pick it up and wipe it off. Goswin, who was observing her narrowly, could not understand the sudden change in her face. He had often had occasion to notice the sensitiveness of her moral nature, but today the key to the riddle was lacking. What could it possibly matter to her whether or not an obscure artist painted an improper picture? He tried to begin a conversation with her, but had hardly done so when Countess Landoff returned, walking slowly with her head held haughtily erect, a sign with her of extreme indignation. You seem more shocked, Countess, than I expected you to be, Goswin remarked as she appeared. Do you think the picture so very bad? Nonsense, the old lady replied impatiently. It was not painted for schoolgirls and boys. It did not shock me. It is not the picture that has made me angry. But whom do you think I found in the room with her cousin Nimshis and two or three other young men? Your sister-in-law Dorothea. So young a woman had better not look at a picture before which it is thought necessary to hang a curtain. But it is beyond a jest when she takes a train of young men with her to see it. If one is without principles, good heavens, it is hard enough to hold on to principles in this philosophic age, when one is puzzled to know upon what to base them, 
one ought at least to have some feeling of decency some aesthetic sentiment end of chapter 8